0: I'm Kay Firth-Butterfield at the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI. And this is, In AI We Trust.
1: Hello Kay, it's great to see you. Hello Miriam. What have you been up to since I last saw you? Well, this is definitely an
0: exciting, busy time. There's been a few good trips. One in particular of note was in North Carolina, Where we had a meeting of the National AI Advisory Committee with a public session that I thought was really good fun. People got to hear the thoughtful members of NIAC share what they were thinking about and even had some participant engagement from those who came to join us in the room and as well as some comments. So I thought it was really productive and and good fun and I always enjoy spending time with the members of the committee. And I know that you have been traveling as well, and we find you today in London.
1: Yes, absolutely. I'm actually staying at the Inner Temple, which is where I trained as a barrister all those many, many years ago. So it's a bit like coming home to me. And it's interesting, you know, because there are lots of legal cases now coming up around um, particularly generative AI, both in in the United States and the U.K., and so, whereas, you know, in the past, I've come here and I've been talking about this odd thing called artificial intelligence. It's now on many more people's lips. So, so that's good. And I'm really interested today to talk to Jordan, who I think has been doing some really interesting work that our, our listeners will be very interested to hear about.
0: Absolutely, yes. Jordan Crenshaw, who is at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and leads their Technology Engagement Center as well as their Privacy Working Group, should be a great guest for us and shares our perspective coming from the legal setting and policy setting. And it'll be interesting to see how he's taken that to the AI space and how that informs his opinion as he thinks through AI policy recommendations. They will also have a report for everyone to read that's been a year in the making, which has been a deeply thoughtful process with several field hearings across the country, thoughtful commissioners. I know it will certainly add to the conversation about where we are and what's needed to ensure that we have AI that can be trusted. So I'm looking forward to talking with him about that today. This week on In AI We Trust, we are delighted to be joined by Jordan Crenshaw. Jordan is the Vice President of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's Technology Engagement Center, CTEC. Jordan also manages the Chamber's Privacy Working Group, which is comprised of nearly 300 companies and trade associations that developed model privacy legislation and principles. Prior to his current role, Jordan led the Chamber's Telecommunications and E-Commerce Policy Committee, which analyzes federal policy, cloud computing, broadband internet e-commerce, and broadcast policies that impact U.S. businesses. Before joining the Chamber, Crenshaw worked as an attorney focusing on environmental issues and analysis of consumer privacy laws and civil litigation. Crenshaw also served Virginia Senate leadership, the Office of Attorney General of Virginia, the U.S. Department of Labor Office of Administrative Law Judges, and the National Right to Work Defense Foundation. Jordan, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Well, let's jump right in. There's been an exciting development at the Chamber. You are in the leadership of the Chamber's Technology Engagement Center, as we just mentioned. And one of the initiatives you all have been working on tirelessly over the past year is the initiative you've spearheaded at the Center, the Artificial Intelligence Commission on Competition, Inclusion, and Innovation a bipartisan venture to advance US leadership in the use and regulation of AI technology, which I had the privilege of addressing in a field hearing last July and got to see firsthand how impressive a process it was, the broad perspectives that you brought in to learn from, and the really well-managed discussions that you were leading. So there's a report, March 9th. Can you share with us why was this report launched? What was this impressive process that we got to see some glimpses of over the past year and what can we expect to read in this report?
2: Well, first of all, uh, AI is projected to have a 13 trillion dollar impact on the global economy and the majority of of that is, is split between the US and China. But on a practical level, AI is helping businesses secure their networks, develop vaccines, tailored to specific disease variants, and it's assisting public safety but private sector tools to assist uh, in things like emergency response for wildfires. And, and and that said, there are a lot of concerns out there. Uh, and and most recently though, it's around things like chat GPT and, and whether we can trust AI. Will AI take jobs away? Will, will countries without democratic values beat us in the development of this technology and have a strategic and security advantage? Um, I mean, Vladimir Putin himself has even said, the nation that leads in AI is gonna dominate the world. And if we're going to truly benefit from the use of artificial intelligence, uh, we need trust that we are mitigating the risks while maximizing its benefits. And, And that's why we brought together the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's Commission on AI Competitiveness, Inclusion and Innovation, and this commission is built to establish trust. Uh, it has two bipartisan co chairs John Delaney, who led the AI caucus, a Democrat from Maryland, Mike Ferguson from New Jersey, who served on the House Energy and Commerce Committee as a Republican. Uh, the commission is also comprised of experts in the private sector, as well as academia and civil society. And, and the goal of the commission is really to develop durable recommendations and leadership on issues like how do we regulate AI? How do we prepare the workforce for potential disruptions? How do democratic societies that value civil liberties win the race on AI? And so we've had five field hearings throughout the world. We were in Austin, Cleveland, uh, California, the UK, and even in DC. And what we did is we heard the testimony from 87 witnesses in person, as well as received numerous written comments in response to three requests for information that we published. And we're really excited about the report. And I would actually encourage folks uh, to go ahead and read the report. Uh, It's actually at AmericanInnovators.com, which is our website, but we're very thrilled with the results that we got from it.
1: Thank you, Jordan. And I think in answering that last question, you've begun to tell us why you began focusing on artificial intelligence work and likewise, why the chamber leadership decided to focus resources and attention on AI and other tech innovations. But can you tell us a little bit more about the creation of the Technology Engagement Center?
2: Yeah, of course, I'd be happy to. Uh, CTECH, uh, which is short for Chamber Technology Engagement Center, uh, was started in uh, the mid-2010s. Uh, and its real goal was to tell the benefits of, of technology for society. And the Chamber represents businesses from all over the United States and across industry, And what we know is that virtually every company in the US is in some way a tech company. Uh, Businesses are either developing or they're using the tech to improve services or goods or run their internal operations. Uh, That said, uh, CTEC has also advocated for rational policy solutions to ensure we have a thriving tech ecosystem all the way from those developing uh, that technology to the companies and consumers using uh, those new innovations. And and among a few things, uh, CTEC was actually the first trade association to develop model privacy legislation after California passed its comprehensive law actually 1,701 days ago, so actually did the count. We've actually also supported uh, national autonomous vehicle safety standards to prevent the vast majority of road fatalities that are caused by human error. We've supported the Chips and Science Act that Congress passed last year to bolster uh, the supply of semiconductors, which we know that that western companies rely heavily on so you know as i've said very simply tech issues are business issues
0: no question we could not agree more speaking on behalf of equal ai in the world economic forum And it's interesting because like Kay and I, who had legal backgrounds, I know that was also your origin, thinking about privacy and civil litigation, other issues. We've noted that in the past year, we've heard you as a strong advocate on AI for some of the reasons you just mentioned. For instance, we've heard you testify before congressional and administrative bodies, with congressional testimony last fall, as well as EEOC testimony in January. Uh, We also saw you do a really thoughtful fireside chat at the Department of Commerce when they had their release of the NIST AI RMF, the Risk Management Framework. So for those who did not hear the testimony, we, we highly recommend it. You can hear the EEOC hearing, navigating employment discrimination in AI and automated systems, a new civil rights frontier, as well as the House testimony and the fireside chat, which are all online. Can you, though, share for us what were some of the key points that you wanted these government bodies to hear you when you made these statements and did these talks?
2: Yeah, I think one of the main things to really get across is that AI is here and it's not going away. And and as I said earlier, we need to ensure that people trust the technology, but also the frameworks designed to mitigate the risks involved. The NIST risk management framework, for example, was, was a truly open and collaborative process. And in fact, was started in a bipartisan manner with the AI Initiative Act with representatives Lucas and Johnson. And then NIST took that congressional mandate and developed an open and iterative process so that all interested stakeholders could have a say in its development. And and I think one of the things that's great about the NIST framework is that NIST is is humble enough and willing to make changes to it uh, and also make changes to the playbook that it also released to help companies implement it. Uh, And we've also seen uh, other congressionally mandated processes unfold, too, that are very promising, like the National AI Advisory Committee. And then there are others where I think we have some concern, um, like the AI Bill of Rights, which recently came out, that I don't think had as much robust stakeholder engagement as some of these other processes, but, you know, at the same time, there are also some policy recommendations that you know I think we can really start implementing now to ensure that uh, AI is trustworthy, and then we have some more of the medium term and long-term ones that uh, we outline uh, in the report. but but a few things. I mean, first, we need to invest uh, in more fundamental research and trustworthy AI. Um, uh, you know, we have seen uh, over the last uh, few years where fundamental research and basic research, has really gone down in proportion to uh, applied sciences, uh, especially from a university and a public uh, sector uh, level. So uh, the more we can get the public sector engaged on fundamental research that um, bolsters the work that uh, uh, applied research is doing um, in private sector. But the second is, you know, we need more investment in STEM education. Uh, that's gonna be critical um, that we begin starting young with students that they learn technology, they learn how to code. Uh, and we need to get more uh, resources there. Uh, Another area too, and the National AI Research Group, Nair is working on this, but there needs to be more high-powered computing capacity and and open data uh, to help refine AI systems in in ways that respect privacy.
1: Well, I couldn't agree more with many of those, particularly the research on ethical AI and the supercomputing point, Certainly, we need to understand what education we need for the future. So just this year, in the State of American Business remarks, Stephen Clark, who's the President and CEO of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, said, on critical priorities where regulation is needed, such as data privacy or artificial intelligence, America should set the global standard, and Congress should pass good legislation here not simply leaving it to places like brussels why is legislation on ai the right approach and what would this legislation look like jordan
2: well one of the things we found throughout our travels uh, with the ai commission is that there there are already laws on the books now in the united states for example that could apply to how business decisions are made uh, with any technology and that includes ai and this is actually kind of going back uh, in time a little bit, but going back to uh, Bill Clinton's administration, they put out principles on e-commerce. And one of those was that there needs to be a recognition that we need to avoid undue restrictions uh, on technology. For example, you know we can look to laws already on the books, like the Civil Rights Act, which in the United States makes it illegal to discriminate against protected classes on things like race, for example, or veteran status. Uh, but at, at the same time, we are finding, though, with new technology, as it outpaces sometimes our ability to, to look at some of those old laws, we need to to take a look at risk-based approaches to ensure that the people are protected. And Congress should look at these risk-based approaches uh, and, and new approaches when there is a gap and the law uh, is not able to actually adequately address the concerns and also balance the benefits. So one of the things we we think makes sense is that Congress should do an inventory of current laws to identify gaps in regulation.
0: That's a great idea. Something we've talked about on this show before. Yes, there are new laws that are gonna be needed, new guardrails, but let's start with understanding and clarifying for uh, all those who are both supposed to be benefited from the laws and who need to be mindful of the laws, what risks they're currently taking in the way that they're developing or using AI. So uh, that sounds like a great idea. The other thing I heard in that quote from Susan Clark is the correlation between your AI recommendations and support for privacy regulation. You recently published an article, Americans Need Clear Data Protections. You wrote about your support for national data privacy standard and clear national data protections. It's a great connection and I'd want to make sure we drill down on this for our listeners because obviously the AI is fueled by data. It is trained by data. You cannot have AI in its current form without having data. So they're intricately related. We need to make sure that the data is useful. We also need to make sure that it is respectful of privacy laws and concerns. So While we're on this discussion of legislation, can you tell us what you would like to see in the legislative arena with regard to data privacy? And as you speak on the world stage, how do we compare to other leading actors such as the EU and China?
2: Well, first of all, you're absolutely right about the connection between data protection and and AI. Individuals need robust privacy protections, and that's full stop and trustworthy ai is is going to largely depend on good quality data uh, to ensure things like accuracy as we go forward uh, but at the same time i want to say that there is a real risk that those necessary data pools could be cut off either through a patchwork of privacy laws or overly restricted national privacy legislation and and for example last year iti released a report highlighting how a national patchwork of privacy laws could cost the economy 1 trillion dollars and And that could disproportionately impact small businesses uh, with a cost of $200 And and this is because a patchwork could lead to conflicting laws, and companies may just decide it's too much of a burden to to use data in an innovative way or or look at data that may involve sensitive data uh, that may trigger potential uh, litigation against them. And so we've already seen five states in the U.S. pass privacy legislation, and currently another 20 are considering it now. And each and every one of those proposals has a little bit of a different uh, change or twist to it. Uh, every state wants to put its own mark. And so uh, that's a concern that we're going to see a patchwork emerge that's going to make it difficult for, for companies to comply or, or just decide that they want to slow down innovation. Also, if, if states or even a national privacy law adopt the ability to privately sue companies, we may see more confusion because instead of even a state-by-state approach, we could see a, a federal district-to-district approach, and there are more districts out there than there are states, which could create some concern as well about compliance. Now, on a national level, you know I think there are some things out there that, that industry could support, and we do support through our Model privacy legislation. Consumers should have the right to delete data. Consumers should have the right to opt out of data being transferred to third parties. Uh, Consumers deserve the right to know how their data is used, collected, and shared and and how it's processed. And there should be real protections in place uh, for for consumers to, to, to go to the attorney general of their state or go to an agency like the FTC and have them enforce against companies that are bad actors. So there are a lot of things we would like to see in a privacy law. Uh, that should be there. Now, but here's some of the concerns, though, as we relate to AI. Uh, what what could go wrong in, in legislation? And I think we want to make sure that that legislation is tailored in the right way. And for example, last year, there was legislation that cleared the House Energy and Commerce Committee that would have empowered the FTC to broadly define types of data uh, that are banned from collection. And 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 there's no consent exception even the GDPR has uh, an exception for consent as a a use that's permissible uh, for data. And I think one of the concerns here is that that could trap a lot of sensitive data that could be used to further refine AI systems, especially as those systems at other times are being mandated to ensure that there are things like bias being rooted out of them. So I think we just want to be careful in terms of how we we approach that from a national level. But he asked about other countries. I would say this, regardless of things dealing with substance or teeth, the either Europe's GDPR or either China's privacy law, they're unitary systems. And that provides um, an advantage uh, that actually, I think, puts the United States behind. We have a patchwork in the United States that is creating uncertainty. And, And that's why Congress really needs to step in and truly preempt state laws, but also provide strong and robust privacy protections.
1: Thank you, Jordan, and certainly you mentioned ChatGPT and other generative AI systems. That certainly brings to the fore lots of issues around data privacy as well. But I want to transition now to your report, Investing in Trustworthy AI. That report was actually co-authored by a dear friend of mine, Bina Amma, who's the Executive Director of the Deloitte AI Institute in coordination with CTEC. Could you share some of the key findings from the report that our listeners should be aware of?
2: Yeah, I'd be happy to. What Deloitte and the Chamber did is we surveyed 250 AI decision makers and developers and companies across uh, the country. And, and a few numbers that really stood out to us uh, were that 65% felt that people would gain confidence as new technologies, innovations, and medicines were discovered using AI. So the more you see it in use and the more you know about it, I think you develop less fear for the technology. 62% felt that it would improve safety on the job with automation. But you know we want to take a balanced approach too. 68% also viewed concerns like AI systems would have bias built into them. So shortly after, we actually did uh, some further polling too, and we found that 85% of Americans felt the U.S. should lead in developing AI and, and those ethical frameworks around it. And, and, and we agree that the Western democratic nations should lead in, in the deployment and development of AI. It's not just a U.S. issue. It, it is a democratic uh, nations issue. And, and we need to ensure that our countries do lead in the development. As I mentioned, uh, there are others who may not share our views that uh, are trying to, to beat Europe and, and the U.S. in this. So uh, we agree. And, and that's one of the prime driving factors behind the AI Commission's launch.
0: Very interesting to see how it's all related. I want to ask more about some of the policy recommendations in that report, which may also have a home in in the most recent report you just released. But you, in the report we just mentioned with Deloitte, noted that the federal government of the US can best enable trustworthy AI innovation, leverage federal resources to accelerate innovation, model responsible AI implementations, and support the American workforce in developing AI skills all such key elements. We'd love to hear more about the specifics on, on those recommendations. In addition, we see that you've got a full body of work. In 2019, you also released Artificial Intelligence Principles. Such a grounding first step. I'm sure it was no small feat to get all the members to agree on what those principles would look like. Specifically, you know, knowing the vast sizes and and across industry, all the different needs and challenges presented. Uh, so we'd love to learn about how those principles may have guided your approach to these recent reports, and then specifically. We want to make sure we hear some of these key recommendations in the areas that we just discussed, including workforce and modeling responsible AI governance.
2: Yeah, we released our AI principles uh, shortly after we adopted our privacy principles, and this was in 2019. And we have found some overlap of those principles and, and what our AI commission has reported out. For example, um, you know, there's overlap in that there's the need for partnership between the private sector uh, and government. There needs to be a respect for current rules and regulations uh, and that we need to build a new uh, and skilled workforce. And uh, the chamber took its principles and we submitted comments just like any other stakeholder through our process along with others. And what I would note is that the work of the commission and, and what you see in the report, it's the work of our commissioners. Uh, they were given free reign to diverge from our principles and any, any past policies we may have had And so we wanted this to be a truly bipartisan stakeholder approach that wasn't just uh, uh, industry talking points getting cut and pasted into a principles document again. A couple of things, though, I would say from the report, there are areas we didn't directly address in our AI principles, and the commission actually did address, for example, in the issue of national security, uh, they made recommendations in the area of developing human rights codes of conduct, systems validation, and also procurement reform uh, in the area of military equipment, for example. And so those are areas that we had never addressed previously as the chamber, but this commission thought it was important enough to bring into the conversation in the report. Also the commission did a deeper dive uh, into workforce issues uh, by suggesting improvements to the H-1B visa process in the United States. So uh, the U S can attract talent while at the same time, uh, reskilling and educating uh, the current workforce in the U S. So as I said earlier, You know, we did make some recommendations to the commission, but the commission really ran with what they wanted to do. And we had some really good independent voices like John Delaney and Mike Ferguson, who were able to stake out uh, what they felt the commission was best to set.
1: Thank you. And now to take you back to last September, then you moderated a panel at an event hosted by CTEC and the Bay Area Council in San Francisco. Which highlighted another recent CTEC report on the impact of technology on small businesses. That's something that most of us struggle with. And certainly at the World Economic Forum, uh, the vast majority of businesses are small businesses and medium sized enterprises. So can you share some of the findings this report offers on the role that small and medium sized enterprises play in our AI economy? Current challenges? small businesses face and ways that we need to act now to support them in their AI adoption.
2: Yeah, last year, uh, we commissioned a study uh, with Taneo to learn how small businesses are using tech and some of the policy ramifications uh, from that. And, And what we found that was that small businesses that use technology platforms, and this is everything from digital ads to payment apps to delivery apps, Uh, They directly uh, and indirectly support $17 trillion in the U.S. economy and 99 million jobs. Small businesses that use more tech platforms tended to fare better in revenue and hiring and and growth during the pandemic. Uh, And when it came to AI-related tech, uh, we wanted to know what what small businesses plan to use in the future. And 25% of small businesses said that they actually actively and knowingly plan to use AI I imagine that number is somewhat higher uh, as vendors are probably using it in ways that they're not even sure that they're using it. But also 20% of small businesses are looking at XR and VR, 15% are even considering uh, adding autonomous vehicles into the mix of their business plans uh, as well. And so there is a lot of appetite, even from smaller businesses to use AI uh, or AI related products in their services. But there's some policy considerations as well. Um, 80% of small businesses said uh, that these types of tech platforms help them compete with larger companies to level the playing field. And as I mentioned earlier about the need for data and AI, 80% of these small businesses said losing access to data would harm their operations. And I think on a more practical level, we actually had the, the owner of a coffee shop to an Armenian family in San Francisco. Uh, the owner, uh, who's now the, the son of the original owner, said that, if they lost access to data now in this economy, it would be a second pandemic for them uh, because they wouldn't be able to use data in ways that helps them reach uh, a targeted list of consumers, for example, as opposed to other companies which are larger, which can already scale up uh, the data they have or uh, use their, their reputation to uh, compete those smaller companies. So uh, it, there are some real implications there on a practical level. But a few things that you know, we've learned and I think can be helpful in the AI context, but in the tech context broadly for small businesses, are this one, we need to educate businesses about the NIST risk management framework in the United States. You know, I think it's a perfect framework for small business because it's not a mandate that will disproportionately burden them. It's voluntary. Usually small businesses get hit hardest with regulation, but even with new products like the NIST risk management framework, which are voluntary, they're usually the last to hear. Uh, so the more we can get education out there about that framework, the better. As I said earlier, we need a national privacy law uh, that is balanced and, and truly preemptive. Another area, too, that's not being talked about as much, but we're beginning to see this even in states now, is we should be leery of an emerging patchwork of AI regulation as well and allow you know a lot of the processes like NIST and the NIAC to fully play out and really get those recommendations. Uh, I I don't think we want to see the same mistake made on privacy in the states. Uh, We'd like to see a national framework addressed federally speaking. And finally, we need to encourage and continue to encourage the work of standards bodies like IEEE and ISO. That's critically important uh, as we develop uh, trust frameworks throughout the world as well. So those are a few things that we've, we've found that could be helpful for small business.
0: Thank you for those really helpful illustrative points. You know, when we're talking about tech too often, people only have in mind the big tech companies that are creating AI at scale, not the many, many others who are both developing it, but also using it to hear a coffee shop owner say that the data could be a pandemic if they did not have full access. It was a really striking point and really helps us open our eyes to the many ways that AI either can be or currently is being used in such vital functions in organizations, large, small, across the country, across the globe. And I am learning so much, I'm enjoying this so much, I'm sorry to close out our conversation, but since we're at the end, uh, we wanna make sure we ask you the same question we ask every guest at the end of our show, which is now knowing all that you've been working on with your AI principles, reports, articles, testimony, if you had a magic wand that you could use for one wish to help us achieve responsible, trustworthy AI, what would you wish for?
2: If I had my wish, I think there are a lot of issue areas that we talk about regarding things like regulation and, and workforce and competitiveness. But one area that gets left out is digitization of government. And, and we actually hosted earlier this year, our first digital transformation summit at the chamber. And we had the federal CIO, Claire Martirana, We had the GSA Administrator Robin Carnahan and Senator Gary Peters, and and we talked about the need for government to modernize. And and much of that talk centered around a report we did highlighting that that we have nearly 9,000 government forms and the lack of digitization in government is actually costing Americans directly over $100 billion. But how does this deal with AI? And, And as we talked about earlier, AI needs data to be better and trustworthy. And if the government is just sitting on data that isn't digitized, It can't be used to help AI work better. So we need to ensure that there are ways that the government data can be digitized, but in a way that protects and respects privacy. But short of a magic wand uh, digitizing government overnight, hopefully Congress can see the need to appropriate here uh, and improve service and AI for Americans and actually save money in the long run.
0: Terrific. Well, we'll hope that wish is heard. Thank you for actually taking action and convening the events to help make that happen. And thank you for sharing your time today so that our listeners can learn from you as well.
2: Thanks, Miriam. Thanks, Kay. I really appreciate it. It was fun talking today.
0: Well, Kay, as we thought, Jordan gave us a lot to think about. He brought up a lot of themes that we often talk about and gave us some specific recommendations as well as some new perspectives. What were some of the
1: big takeaways for you? Yeah, well, I think on some of the things we often talk about, you know, I I can often be heard saying all companies are AI companies or will be. So it pleased me to hear Jordan say all companies are tech companies. And I think that the AI companies is soon on the horizon. Make clear by his comments about small businesses, you know, we worry about medium and, and small enterprises, But, you know, he was talking about 80% of small businesses who were surveyed said that using AI helped to level the playing field between them and bigger concerns. He talked about government digitalization. It was interesting hearing that in context of the U.S. because you sort of think that the U.S. should already be digitalized. And, and yet it's a conversation I have with governments all around the world. And so I thought that those were particularly interesting in terms of things we've talked about. Obviously, he referenced the NIST framework, and we just had the ladies from NIST come and talk to us about that on our podcast. I think the fact that they really talked about the need for new law as well as a really using the existing law is just so important because we're so often told that having legislation is going to impede innovation. And yet the right, and that's what I think the point that he's making, the right legislation actually will drive the right solutions in terms of our economy. So they were all pieces that I picked up. What did you pick up? I thought those were such
0: important, interesting points. And and specifically, when you talk about the digitization of government, it's interesting because his lens is from, from companies, from industry. It's interesting that that is a priority that they are asking for. And certainly an area where the U.S. should be leading uh, in no small part so they can keep up with the companies that they're regulating, let alone serving as a model. So, yeah, I, I also thought that was such an important point that And interesting that that was so pivotal for them. I also think it's so interesting that as they observe AI adoption, they have noted how helpful it has been for companies, both large and small. So you can clearly hear their AI optimism and a strong need for companies to start to use AI, but I really like, obviously, that they've landed on the only way to ensure we have that adoption to help companies thrive and to help consumers use the AI and work with the companies is building that trust. Just the key ingredient, no matter how you slice it, whether you're talking about privacy in the data that's being used to fuel the AI systems, or if you're talking about trust that the system won't fail you, trust that the, the system will do what it says it's going to do. As we think about all the different ways that people are using it, like he mentioned uh, in HR system validation, uh, you know, those are such pivotal areas that a company relies on and doesn't have time for mistakes, certainly does not want to be discriminating in in how it's using these AI functions, both because they don't wanna miss out on the best talent, as well as the fact they don't wanna break the laws on the books. So I really like that the lens that they are taking on is the trustworthy development of AI and how we make sure that not only it's a system that we use, but that it's a system we can and should have trust in and really breaking down the components of what that trust would look like. In part, you know, like he said, the STEM education, we need to have both a workforce who can support this AI innovation, but we also need consumers who can make best use of it and ask the important decisions, deciding, you know, just because there is an AI system doesn't mean that that's the solution you're looking for. Asking the thoughtful questions so we can make sure. You know, he said eighty percent of consumers were worried it surveyed were worried about bias in their AI systems. Well, good on them that they're educated. Let's make sure to respond to that call by, first of all, giving them the tools to ask these questions and to interrogate the systems before they deploy them at scale as they're using them, Um, but also so that those who are building the AI systems have the understanding and the consensus that they need. You know, obviously, I think the final point that really resonated was his reiteration of the problem of patchwork, you know, that which is so foundational and and helpful in the US of of having broad set of perspectives and views also creates some challenges. I thought it was really interesting that he talks about the EU and China as having a real advantage in that they're unitary systems. And when you're talking about areas like this, privacy, standardization of values. On the one hand, you want to include a multiple perspective approach so that values can be telling and values can be informative and speak to those who are using the AI programs. But on the other hand, we need to have consensus on what the expectations are, both so those deploying and building the AI know what the expectations are, as well as the consumers can know they can have trust in in the AI they're relying on. So, All around a great conversation, and I'm really looking forward to digging in the very recently
1: released report. Yeah, absolutely. Some bedtime reading for us, and I hope all of our listeners. Yes, indeed. All right, Kay, well, another great episode. I look forward to the next one. Likewise. Take care. Subscribe to or download our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. To learn more or get involved, visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org.
0: If you've enjoyed this podcast and want more unique content, please head over to Radio Davos from the World Economic Forum. And a special thanks to NP Agency, without whom this podcast would not be possible.